Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together, verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. If not, no problem. We'll put it all together for you. So let's get started. Today, we are in the book of Jeremiah. We'll be putting in just for a second in uh We'll backtrack a little bit. McGee wanted to go back to chapter 11, verse 6, and then we'll move through uh, chapter 14. So back um, in verse 6, we put in um, chapter 11, verse 6, The Lord said to me, Proclaim all the words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Hear the words of this covenant and do them. So what was going on? Back in this time... um, Hilkiah, that was Jeremiah's father. He was a priest in the court of young King Josiah. Now remember, young King Josiah became king at eight years old, but he meets Jeremiah in his 13th reign. So he was about 21 years old. Jeremiah was about 20. These were two young fellas, you know, and they, as McGee says, they're probably friends. They're about the same age. They're coming into play at a young point in their life, and they both know um, Jeremiah's dad. Now, Hilkiah was a priest. He finds the book of the law. It's like this is the book of the law that Moses gave the people from God, okay? And they had been so far off um, from God's teaching, they'd forgotten where the whole book was, okay? And could you imagine... It's sort of like, you know, folks today, they have their Bible in their house, but they don't even know where it is. They Maybe maybe it's up on a shelf. Nobody reads it. Or it's just collecting dust somewhere in some closet. And then one day you're cleaning out your closet and you look in there and you find your Bible and you go, oh, that's where that thing is, you know? And what good is it to you in your closet? What good is it? sitting up on a shelf when nobody's reading. God says, this book has got to be an active part of your life. If you don't have this book as an active part of your life, you are not going to be uh, able to grow in God's Word. So when um, young King Josiah finds this book, it moved him deeply. And so what was he doing? He was having this book read to the people. And so it caused a lot of people to stir in their hearts. And it's sort of like a revival. But um, McGee calls it almost like a circle revival, a circus revival, because it wasn't true revival because their hearts weren't weren't truly, truly moved. And uh, during this time, we see that uh, uh, around this time, it, it's, it's uh, labeled a little bit more in Second Chronicles. We get the story of some of this better in Second Chronicles. But just to outline it a little bit here, um, we've got young King Josiah becoming king at eight, meets Joseph. Jeremiah the 13th reign. Uh, later, uh, we're going to find that young King Josiah uh, does battle with the king of, of um, Egypt, Nico, and it's kind of an ill-advised uh, battle here, um, and he gets killed. 
Now, this is Jeremiah's, like, probably only friend. And this is the guy who would probably give him some protection. You know, and this is uh, his, Josiah was probably one that was wanting to, to um, get everybody back in the Word of God, get everybody back for sort of a revival. This probably, this young king was, was um, able to maybe do that. But once he passes, then you got a bunch of lousy kings. And then Jehoahaz was his uncle. He only reigned three months, and they get rid of him. And then you got uh, Jehoiakim. He was the son of Josiah, and he didn't really like his dad's revival movement. So he rejects that. He tries to cozy up to uh, the Egyptian kings and then to the Babylonians. The Babylonians come, come in and just take him captive and keep him sort of in there uh, like a puppet king. And then he ends up taxing the people even worse. And uh, he's just a lousy, corrupt king. Then you get Jehoiachin, which we haven't gotten into, and Zedekiah um, will come to um, another last king. But these, uh, but these uh, early initial kings were pretty bad replacements for uh, young King Josiah. So we're putting in at verse 6, and the Lord says to me, Proclaim these words in all the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. Hear the word of this covenant and do them. So this is the covenant of the book of the law. This was the old covenant, the Mosaic law, okay? And... Um, he says earlier in the chapter, Cursed be the man who doesn't hear the words of this covenant. You know, this generation where all mankind is cursed under sin, who didn't have um, a way to meet God's standards. And of course, all men fall short. But this um, man's sinful nature is cursed because of his sin. And so, <clears throat> we see down um, in verse 21, the, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, this is where um, Jeremiah was from, they seek your life. Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, or you will die by our hand. This is what they're telling Jeremiah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword, their sons and daughters shall die by famine, and none of them shall be left, for I will bring disaster upon the men of Anatoth, the year of their punishment. Okay? So these men are plotting against uh, Jeremiah's life. We saw this yesterday as we were reading this. Now we'll jump into, um, so with this backdrop, with this background, we'll start um, our study in, in chapter 12. And this is basically Jeremiah's complaint to God, you know, and every once in a while, we all want to complain to God. We all have these dark thoughts as McGee says, you know, you get to the point where you're just tired of watching the wicked people thrive. And this is what Jeremiah complained about. Why do all the evil people, wicked people, or people who um, seem like they, you know, aren't following your ways, how come they always get it easy? How come they always get elected to the high offices? How come they always are in power? How come the corrupt people always seem to be the ones who get elected? Isn't that the same thing today? How come the people who don't really love the Lord, how come they're always the wealthy people? You know, wouldn't it be nice just to have a few wealthy good people and balance it out? Or maybe a few wealthy good people to make the donations to the politicians who are trying to do the right thing? 
but it just seems like the corrupt people always are there. This is what Jeremiah is talking about. So let's read now and listen to his words. Jeremiah's complaint. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near their mouth, but far from their heart. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart towards you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? For the evil of those who dwell in it, the beasts and the birds are swept away because they say he will not see our latter end. Jeremiah is saying, how long is all this stuff going to go on? And how long is all this evil stuff just seem to occur and you not take care of it. You know, it's a complaint. Jeremiah is laying himself out there. He's a young man. He doesn't have a lot of experience, but he's doing what God's telling him to do. And he's, and around this time, his probably only friend and really only connection was the king who would have protected him from all these threats on his life. Now he's finding out from God that there's all these threats on his life. And he's saying, God, why don't you get rid of these folks? Make my job easier. Now the Lord's answering him back. And basically what he's going to tell him is he's going to say, if you're complaining to me now, you know, number one, I know what I'm doing and number two, you ain't seen nothing yet. Okay? So, let's see what he says. Verse 5, if you, and this is God talking back to him, if you have raced with men on foot and they've wearied you, you know, if this is making you tired, how will you compete with horses? Okay? How are you going to compete when things get worse? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? What are you going to do when you get taken away to Egypt? For even your brothers in the house of your father have dealt treacherously with you. They are in full cry after you. Do not believe them, though they speak friendly words to you. So God's saying, look, you ain't seen nothing yet, and things are going to get a whole lot worse, and you're not even going to be able to trust your family and friends. And God's saying, look, I've forsaken this whole place. I have given over my whole heritage and the heritage is going to be like birds of prey. Like he's talking about the Babylonians. They're going to be circling all around. This is in verse 9. Now we'll drop down to verse 15, chapter 12. And after I have plucked them up, I will again have compassion on them. And I will bring them again each to his heritage and each to his land. Okay? So God's going to tell him that he is going to pluck out the people from the nation. These people are going to be carried away in captivity to Babylon. And it's going to be bad. But he's going to have compassion on them. And I will bring some back to the land. He's going to bring some back. So, um, a little ray of hope there. Now, chapter 13. Interesting parable. Uh, McGee calls this the parable of the girdle. Ha <laughs> ha. So, thus says the Lord to me, Go buy a linen cloth 
a linen loincloth, and put it around your waist, and do not dip it in water. And McGee calls this like a girdle. So I bought a loincloth according to the word of the Lord, put it around my waist, and the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the loincloth that you have bought, which is around your waist, and arise and go to the Euphrates River and hide it there in a cleft of the rock. So I went there and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. And after many days, the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates and take from there the loincloth that I commanded you to hide there. So Jeremiah says, Then I went to the Euphrates and dug, and I took the loincloth from the place where I hid it. So he's got to dig, so he's hiding this loincloth in the ground. Now maybe this time it rained, or the ground got wet because it's by the Euphrates River, or maybe some animals were around there walking all over it, or who knows what else. But he had to dig for it. He digs it up. Now, what, what's it going to be? Is it going to be clean or dirty? It's going to be dirty, right? And he says, and behold, the loincloth was spoiled. Okay, so it's all dirty now. It was good for nothing. Like, you can't put this dirty loincloth around you to do anything with. The word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, even so I will spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. But they would not listen. So we get this picture, uh, God, you know, asking Jeremiah, put on this loincloth, which is good for nothing. He's probably letting the people see, like, why are you wearing this dirty loincloth? What's that all about? This is a parable to the people to see how worthless they are to the Lord. So we drop down to verse 16. Another warning that times are bad times are coming. Hear and give ear. Be not proud, for the Lord has spoken. The Lord was doing that to the loincloth to, to, to show uh, the pride of the people, you know. He's doing the pride of the people are keeping them from drawing near to God. And he's showing them that to to God, they're just a loincloth. I mean, they have to hold on. They have to hold on to God just like a loincloth has to be tied around. But they are like a spoiled loincloth. They've been spoiled in their sin and they don't do any good to the man who wears it, right? And so what do you have to do to the loincloth? You have to take off the loincloth and reject it and get rid of it because it's good for nothing. You have to wash it, of course, and make it clean, okay? And that's what he's going to have to do. He's going to have to wash the land. He's going to have to wash the, the, the nation, make it clean and get rid of the dirt. The dirt is making the loincloth good for nothing. The sin is making the nation of Israel good for nothing. To God, Israel and Judah, this is the Jew, Israel's the northern kingdom, Judah's the southern kingdom. These kingdoms are like loincloths. They have to cling, but they're good for nothing. So, verse 16, Give glory to the Lord your God before He brings darkness, before your feet stumble on the twilight mountains, and while you look for light, He turns it into gloom and makes it deep darkness. But if you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. It's the pride that's keeping them in sin. Pride is making them not want to turn from their own ways to God's ways. 
Why would you want to do it? Because you're going to look silly to somebody else. Because you're going to look like a square, or you're going to, because you're going to look like you know somebody who's too preachy. You know, you're not popular anymore. The popular culture says sin is better. And you're going to look old-fashioned. You're not going to be cool. Or maybe you're not going to be powerful or popular. Or to do the right things is going to mean um, giving up some possessions or the easy way. So pride is keeping a lot of people from following God. And then we drop down to verse 19. All Judah is taken into exile. Holy taken into exile. Lift up your eyes and see those who come from the north. Okay, he's talking about an evil coming. Babylonians are going to come. And then we see a verse 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard change his spots? It's a rhetorical question here. Of course not. Then you, then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. He will say, you know, you guys are beyond hope. Because you're, you're trying to do good for yourself, not to do good in the name of the Lord. It's because of your own pride. You won't follow my teachings. So he's telling this people, leopard can't even change his spots. He's not going to. He's content with doing evil. The loincloth is ruined. And it's time to wash the loincloth. But even there, he throws little things in like, if you would just get over your pride, you know, because the twilight, the darkness is coming soon and you won't be able to find the light. Okay? His presence is going to be away from you. His presence is light. He kind of uses a few more parables to get the people to, to wake up and see what's coming. Now we'll go to chapter 14. And this is um, kind of a warning here um, about famine. Um, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning the drought. This was a, a warning that times are going to get uh, uh, bad and he sends a drought to sort of give people a wake-up call. And then in verse 7, Jeremiah is confessing sins on behalf of the people. And, you know, probably many people now are beginning to suffer even more because of this drought. Verse 7, Though our iniquities testify against us, Act, O Lord, for your name's sake, for our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. You know, he says, um, Yet you, O Lord, are in the midst of us, and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. Then the Lord, thus says the Lord concerning his people in verse 10, They have loved to wander thus. They have not restrained their feet. Therefore, the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. The Lord said to me, Do not pray for this, for the welfare of this people, though they fast. I will not hear their cry. You know, they're trying to act religious now. And though they offer burnt offering and grain offerings, I will not accept them. You know, their hearts aren't right. They're sort of acting worship. They're acting sort of pious now. It's probably because of the drought. But I will consume them by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. They're going to be attacked. There's going to be no food. And there's going to be all kinds of pestilence. Verse 13 then I said, ah, whenever you see A-H, like ah, that's sort of like a mourning greeting. Ah, Lord, that's, that's a greeting with mourning. Ah, Lord God, behold the prophets, say to them, you shall not see the sword 
nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. Now, this is a mourning because there's false prophets in the area. And they're saying, the false prophets were telling the people, you shall not see the sword, you shall not have famine, and I will give you peace in this place. Okay? So, as a result of what Jeremiah is telling the people, false prophets, lying prophets, come back to respond to tell the people, you know, forget what Jeremiah is saying. God's going to save you. God's going to, you know, you're not going to see any attackers or have famine, and, and we'll give you peace. And as McGee points out, Evil men cannot bring bring peace at all in this world. The only people who claim to bring peace is the Lord Jesus. That's the only person who can bring true, lasting peace. All other people who are saying there's peace coming, they're either lying prophets or men trying to proclaim that they're bringing peace on their own. Only if they do it in the name of the Lord will there really be peace on earth. So I hope this was helpful to you up until this point. We'll have to stop here. We'll take up where we're leaving off tomorrow as we study this fascinating book about the life of Jeremiah, this young prophet of God who never had anybody believe him, considered the weeping prophet because he's by himself and weeps often for the nation of Israel. So from me to all of you, God bless you. Keep your heart centered on Christ. And now I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, hope you're doing great. Look forward to hearing what you have to say on this teaching. Take care. Hello. So today's teaching is beginning at Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 6, going all the way to chapter 14, Um, to verse 13. So here we see, you know, when the book of the law was found, it had a profound impact on King Josiah. So in yesterday's teaching, we learned that, you know, the first five years of Jeremiah's message, uh, he gave that message that was before the book of the law was found, um, before, you know, the temple was actually cleansed. So after the cleansing of the temple, King Josiah was introducing like new reforms and doing away with all the um, idols that were uh, put up, you know, by the previous kings and all, and that's when the book of the law was found by Helekiah, that was Jeremiah's father. So this particular law had a profound impact on King Josiah because he had seen how far back, you know, his people had fallen short of, you know, the requir- the requirements of God, like living, you know, by the law. So he called uh, his people to make a covenant that they would keep this particular law. And this law we find in Exodus chapter 21 to 23 and all the way in the giving on instructions on the building of the tabernacle in chapter 25. So, you know, um, what we have is, um, you know, man's relationship to his neighbor, uh, man's relationship to others, property, um, and how he should conduct himself as God's man and um you know the people took an oath that they would keep it but you know the revival was large was largely on the on a surface basis they were you know a few people who were actually converted but you know there was a lot of reformation and people were like oh you know there was this hype going on because that's when the book of the law was found and it had this profound impact on the king and you know um and the revival, yeah, it was just largely base, basically on the surface, but mo- mostly like the message was on, you know, the local situation and how people were actually, um, you know, the relationships that they had with their neighbors and, you know, their, their, their relationships in business and, you know, how they just conducted themselves. Were they living a clean life? So that's what we have here. So chapter 11 at verse 6, it reads, Then the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these things. So proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear the words of this covenant and do them. 
So here, you know, the people promised that they would do this. You know, they would actually follow the law according to the book of the law that was found. But it wasn't long that they would, you know, you know, that they went back to their old ways because this was just a surface revival. And this is what we, we tend to see um, in our local situation today because, you know, people feel, oh, hey, I've been touched by the spirit and, you know, I'm touched by, you know, like there's a crusade and there's like someone singing beautifully and, um, you know, the message is like really, really well and all the message is like um, impactful and very powerful. And, you know, people get touched and people just, think you know oh this is revival but you know they've heard the message of 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 the lord but you know what next after you hear the message of the lord are you going to live uh what next after salvation are you going to live by god's um word so um you know even josiah josiah made um a grave blunder you know after this revival and all um that was going on and he made a grave blunder and he went against the king of egypt that was pharaoh nico uh, and they fought at the battle of Magedo, and josiah was fatally wounded and he died and jeremiah moaned he moaned he mourned bitterly um at uh king josiah's um uh, funeral and you can find we find this in um, second chronicles um Verse 35 and verse 35, oh, sorry, Second Chronicles chapter 25, verse, chapter 35, verse 25, sorry. Um, so let me just quickly turn to Second Chronicles chapter 25, verse 35, which reads, um, sorry, chapter 35, verse 25. Um, let me just go and to chapter 35. Yes. Okay. So second Chronicles chapter 35 verse 25 reads, um, Jeremiah also lamented for Josiah and to this day, all the singing men and singing women speak of Josiah in their lamentations. They made it a custom in Israel and indeed they are written in the lamentation. So, you know, he lamented, you know, at the death of Josiah, because this is somebody who was trying to, you know, bring back that, you know, moral sanity, that, you know, clean living. Um, and um, he lamented. Jeremiah wept at um, King Josiah's funeral. He wept bitterly because he knew what was going to happen um, afterwards. You know, the people would return back to idolatry and they would sink even further down into morality, into immorality, which they actually did. So Jeremiah gives them a message which they don't want to hear. And, um, you know, the last part of chapter 11, um, it, you know, he had to leave his um, hometown of Anathoth because Josiah would have been there to protect him because Josiah was looking at, um, you know, changing their ways in which they were, they had actually accustomed to, to living in idolatry. And uh, Josiah would have protected him if he was alive, but uh, Josiah was no more. So after Josiah, um, jo Jehoahaz comes onto the throne and he was um, on the throne. You know, he was um, an uncle um, to, to, to Josiah and his mother's name was um, Hamutel. And he reigned for only three months and um, there was total iniquity during this particular period. And um, it was a period of evil doing. So after him, there is uh, Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah. And um, he was made king by Pharaoh Necho. And in return, Jehoiakim taxed the land and paid tribute to Egypt. And it wasn't long before Nebuchadnezzar defeated the king, um, the Egyptian king, and Jehoiakim became the vassal of Babylon for three years. And then he rebelled. The, um, and uh, the king, which was, uh, you know, he rebelled against the king, uh, against King Nebuchadnezzar, which was a warning against Jeremiah because, I mean, Jehoiakim wasn't just going to listen to Nebuchadnezzar, to, sorry, to Jeremiah. Um, you know, he warned him, you know, do not rebel against Nebuchadnezzar um, because the effects are going to be drastic. And um, Jeremiah warned and he also warned against an alliance with Egypt. He told him you cannot form an alliance with Egypt. But um, uh, and Jehoiakim, he, you know, he didn't pay him any attention to this warning and he became more corrupt than, um, you know, any of the other kings before. So, um, you know, so... 
you know, now we're entering into an evil period in the life of the nation of Israel. And the only light um, that was left um, is Jeremiah. And on top of that, Jeremiah was forced to actually leave his hometown. So Jeremiah, you know, he, he must have had, you know, what any honest man, um, any honest Christian person can have, you know, you know, ha having gone through all these problems and all, I'm sure, you know, doubts began to creep, to creep in and um, questions, you know, dark thoughts that make one wonder why God permits certain things to happen to good people. So um, it's the more spiritual people that, you know, today bad things actually happen to them. You see, you know, it's, it's, it's just one trial after the next, you know, one bad thing after the next. And, you know, we tend to always question ourselves, why do bad things just happen to good people? And, um, and, and you know, Jeremiah being, you know, a good God-fearing, you know, spiritual person, doubts must have crept in his head and he must have thought, what, why is this happening? So we move on to chapter 12. So chapter 12, um, verse 1 to 3 reads, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you, yet let me talk with you about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? so treacherously so you know jeremiah is asking why does the lord permit his own to suffer and um the ungodly to actually prosper and this is what we tend to always ask ourselves you know if you look around it's the unjust the corrupt the you know look at our political leaders um you know they're the ones who go on prospering and benefiting and you know there's so much iniquity and they rob from the poor and um it's it's, it's no one but god who has the answer so I don't think Jeremiah was given the answer that he wanted. You know, David asked the same question. Jeremiah asked the same question, but he didn't get an answer. And God permits the wicked to prosper today. And, um, you know, they, the wicked are rich. And, um, you know, they're spreading themselves um, right now like a green bay leaf. You know, this is what uh, Paul had actually said in, in the book of Romans. You know, like, you know, the rich are are you know the the which the rich um are getting the wicked are, are rich and prospering themselves and spreading themselves out like um like a green bay leaf so uh verse two and three reads um you have planted them yes they have taken root they grow yes they bear fruit they are near in their mouth but far from their mind but you O lord know me you have seen me and you have tested my heart towards you pull them out like sheep from the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter so here jeremiah says why don't you judge them and um you know why aren't you judging these particular people you know they 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 are rooted here and they're prospering and you know they're living their best life here on earth so verse 4 goes on to read of chapter 12 how long will the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither the beasts and birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there because they said he will not see our final end so here this is his question you know lord why do you permit why do you permit it why do you permit the the, the, the wicked to prosper so the answer he gets from god is i know what i am doing um you know, you trust me, you rest in me. So, you know, let us trust in God's promise. Let us, let us rest in him because God knows what he is doing. God is the omniscient, he's the omnipresent. And, you know, let us, he is the creator. Let us trust him because he knows what he's actually doing. So, you know, whatever God is doing is right, no matter how, you know, peculiar it seems. And this is where faith comes in. You know, believe. This is where God wants us to focus on him, to have faith in him and believe in him. So we walk by faith and not by sight. So Jeremiah is left alone and things are getting worse and worse. So there is um, Jeho Jehoahaz um, who reigned for three months. And, you know, this was an evil period. There was corruption. Now there's Jehoiakim. Um, who is on the throne and they are corrupt rulers so you know we saw that this in chapter 11 um of uh, and paul had actually quoted this as well chapter 11 verse 16 um of of jeremiah which reads um the lord called your name green olive tree lovely and good fruit with the noise of a great uh tumult uh, he has kindled fire on it 
and its branches are broken. So here, you know, Paul had actually quoted this in Romans and, um, you know, the good olive tree has been cut off and set aside and the green olive tree in this particular case was the man of God, Jeremiah, you know, and this is what's happening today, you know, like the green olive tree, the good people, the good spiritual people, the good Christians, they have been set aside. You know, what is reigning now is, you know, just um, corrupt leaders, you know, full of iniquity, full of injustice. And, you know, a man who, an unsaved man cannot do good and, you know, cannot be just and, you know, cannot portray loving kindness. That's just how it is. It's just a fact. And um, this is what God did to these people. So today God has brought forth, you know, the wild olive tree, and that is the church, you and I. So we are grafted into the Christ, the root. So he is the root out of a dry ground, and he brings life. He is a root. He was born in Nazareth. He's Jesus of Nazareth, born in Nazareth, you know, a place where it's dry and arid. So he is that particular root. He is our root, who we are supposed to, um, you know, um, look to. And uh, believe in, you know, because this is where faith comes in because God is always right. So God goes on to say, I will take care of this and I will deal with this. And Jeremiah's question is, how long shall the land mourn? So verse 5 goes on to read, if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend his horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted, they wearied you. How will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? So, you know, this is kind of like, you know, God is kind of like, you know, giving it to Josiah, or Jeremiah here, you know. So God says to Jeremiah, if you're having trouble now, you know, this basically just means if right now you're having trouble, you haven't seen nothing yet. You know, how about, you know, how about things, you know, things are going to get worse and worse. You ain't seen nothing yet. You know, as Dr. J.B. McGee put it, um, it's going to get worse. And don't let this uh, trouble you because what are you going to do when things really go bad? This is what God is saying. So it's going to get bad uh, and it should draw us closer to God and things are going to get bad. We can actually see things are just, you know, turning for the worse like right now. You know, you can actually see the levels of immorality, um, you know, just how people are living their lives. You know, they're just running around godlessly, which is just sad and things are going to get bad. And, um, you know, and this should just draw us closer to God um, because he does have the answers to all our problems. So verse 9 of chapter 12 goes on to read, um, My heritage is to me like a speckled vulture. The vultures all are, all around are against her. Come and assemble all the beasts of the field. Bring them to devour. So here God says, Jeremiah, you are a speckled bird. You are the chosen. Like you are one of my chosen you know, children. You are a speckled bird. And, and um, he was standing for God. You know, this is why he was standing out. And, um, you know, God's people go through a lot of tribulations. You know, the saints, God's children. So he was standing for God and he was standing out. This is why God was saying he was a speckled bird. So um, verse 15 of chapter 12 goes on to read, Then it shall be after I have plucked them out that I will return and have compassion on them and bring them back, everyone to his heritage and everyone to his land. So here, you know, the question is why are the wicked prospering and God will take care of that. This is what God is saying. So what's going to happen is that they will go into captivity, but God will bring them back into the land because, you know, God, our God is a God of grace and he's a God of second chances. And, you know, he keeps on giving us more and more chances and he's going to give them a chance to actually, um, um, you know, when they go to captivity, you know, he wants to draw them to him, to, to focus on him. When they go in captivity, they will look back to God. So our God is a God of second chances. So moving on to chapter 13. So chapter 13 here, we have uh, the parable of the girdle. So verse 1 of chapter 13 goes on to read, Thus says the Lord, thus the Lord said to me, Go and get yourself a linen girdle. My translation says, says sash and put it around your waist, but do not put it in water. 
So here, the girdle is, um, you know, today, people put on a girdle to maintain, you know, their figures and shapes. Uh, a girdle, obviously, in today's world is called, like, you know, so many different things. You know, uh, a shaping belt or something. Um, so to maintain their, our figure. Um, so that's what the girdle is used for. And here we're told Jeremiah uh, was to put on uh, one, and uh, not because he was, you know, putting on weight. And, you know, in those days, a girdle was worn to hold up the garments in order that you might work. That's what it was actually used for. So um, Christ had actually said, loins girded about, so ready for service. So Christ said this, and a girdle is a sign of service, that you're actually ready to do service for God. So Christ girded himself with a linen cloth and began to wash the disciples' feet. So this had, you know, a twofold meaning. So um, he, the great servant, was preparing them for service by washing their feet so that they could have fellowship with him. So if you don't have fellowship with him, you can't serve. You can't just serve Christ. So as service is fellowship with Christ, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not about, you know, what you do on Sunday. It's not about like, oh, hey, I volunteer for this and this on Sunday. I do this and that on Sunday. You know, um, I'm help, you know, like you're just busy in church. It's doing what Christ wants us to do and being cleansed as God doesn't use dirty vessels. So, um, you know, Christ washed, it was like a sign. He washed the disciples' feet and, you know, he girded up, um, uh, he, he thingy, he girded himself with a linen cloth you know, ready for service. So girdle your loins and get ready for service. So verse 3 uh, of chapter 13 goes on to read, And the word of the Lord came to me the second time, saying, Take the girdle, or the sash, that you acquired, which is around your waist, and arise, go to the Euphrates, and hide it there in a hole in the rock. And um, so I went and hid it, by the Euphrates, as the Lord had commanded. So, um, you know, what does this mean? So this, um, we drop down to verse 8. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, In this manner I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. Um, sorry, verse 8. Yeah, uh, verse 8 and 9. So here, he told, he was told, to wear that girdle and when it got dirty he was told not to wash it and just let it get dirtier and when he couldn't wear it anymore because it was just got really dirty God said take it down to Babylon and you know this all means uh, one thing because these people were continually sinking into iniquity they will reach a point where there is no hope for them then the Lord will send them down into Babylonian captivity. And this is what happened. So if we skip all the way to verse 16, it says, um, Give glory to the Lord your God before he causes darkness and before your feet stumble on the dark mountain. And while you are looking for the light, he turns it into the shadow of death and makes it dense darkness so here god is saying it's getting not it's getting late now it's getting dark it's getting nighttime now and it will be dark and you won't be able to go anywhere because you know you can't see because you're lost in the mountains because it's like really dark so um you know so here um uh, you know the girdle is it gets dirtier and dirtier and um and 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 you know, no matter how much Jeremiah actually speaks and tells them, gives them the message of God, the warnings and all, they were not listening. And this girdle was getting dirty and dirtier as Jeremiah kept on doing his service and it was getting dirty and they were not listening. And, you know, the end result was them going into captivity. And, you know, this is the darkness God is talking about. Like, it's going to get dark and you're going to get lost in the mountains. And this is what exactly happened. So verse 19 reads um, the cities of the south shall be shut up and no one shall open them judah shall be carried away captive all of it it shall be wholly carried away captive so here god makes it clear what he's going to do and this is what actually happened so dropping down to verse 23 it reads can the ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots 
then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. So here, um, you know, what is going to happen? So today it's impossible for an unsaved person to actually do good. You know, an unsaved person, you know, in as much as, yes, they'll try and do something good, but they do it with their own selfish motives. So, you know, if I have all these do-gooders who are doing what they're doing for show, they're doing it for man, and they're not doing it for God, and that, this is what we actually have today. You know, an unsaved man cannot do good. They do it for their own benefit, for show. So, um, Dr. J.V. McGee actually, like, started a little bit of um, chapter 14, uh, but I will leave it for the next study. Uh, but he did read like um, the beginning of um, chapter 14 where God said, where God sends a drought and um, as a warning during um, the time of Je- uh, Jehoiakim. And, um, and it reads, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the droughts. Judah mourns and her gates languish. They mourn for the land and they cry of Jerusalem um, has gone up. So, um, because of their backsliding ways, um, verse 7 goes on to read of chapter 14, O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do it for your name's sake, for our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. So, you know, God is, 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 is sending a drought, and um, it is a warning to um, Jehoiakim. So, you know, let us girdle ourselves for service and um, let us have fellowship with the Lord, um, you know, once we girdle ourselves. Um, so we can't, um, if we don't have fellowship with the Lord, if we don't do what's right, we can't serve God. You know, you can't choose to live your life one way on a Sunday and go to church and do all these, like, you know, just get busy. And then, you know, on come Monday, you know, how we treat our neighbors, how we we do our business practices and ethics is just like wrong and this was the law that jeremiah was going about like how we're living our daily lives let us um live a clean life you know if we want god to use us because god does not use dirty vessels so yeah this is today's teaching thank you all for listening in god bless and have a pleasant day bye-bye